following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going, man? Pretty good. You know, I noticed something. What's that? You know what? I love schedules in Persona 5. That's a really neurotic thing to enjoy. Tell me about it. Okay. Well, for anyone that's played it, you're a school kid, and, you know, you go to class in the morning, and mm-hmm. then after school, you have time to do one activity, and then you go to bed, and you get up, and there's this regiment, and uh, you just follow it the entire game over uh, uh, the course of a year. In that, you, you go to dungeons and whatnot, but you get to decide, like, when I want to study and not go into a ju- dungeon, or when I want to hang out with friends and stuff. And there's this weird, uh, it's just like this weird fantasy of mine of like, I, I love it because I'm on time for everything and I, I make the most of my time. I don't waste any time. Whereas probably in the real world, you know, I get back from work and I'm like, huh, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just going to waste fair. time. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. So would you say you enjoy the metagame of time? You like regimented things. I think I do. It, th- it, it sounds a little bit kind of like a tactical RPG, only instead of doing the things, like the subst- the substantive things, you just kind of plan? Yeah. Am I getting that right? I think I like role-playing as someone that's good at planning. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> because you're late to all of our hangouts, so yeah. you might as well at least fictionally be on t- Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like, you know, the idea of like role-playing as a warrior or someone that's, you know, in in the case of Persona 5, you're basically incepting people, like right. going in their minds and whatnot. That sounds so enticing and cool and, like, fun. But I don't know. My favorite part of Persona 5 is being able to decide, like, oh, it's a rainy day. I get a plus one bonus when I go and study history. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's go to a coffee shop. Get how? a coffee and study. Well, now I'm curious to know, like, how, uh, how, much, how much of the – so speaking to me and – People, the the people in uh, podcast land who haven't played Persona Five, is that kind of like the biggest part of it? What's the objective of this thing? The objective of it is you're basically like a superhero, and uh, you have Fair. to basically go into people's subconscious and and change, you know, their desires, like steal their desires so they feel bad about themselves or something. And it's cool. It's really awesome, and it's a cool concept. Basically, just think like Inception. I'm a little creeped out because I can – okay, so I can wrap my mind around Inception and that sounds like the coolest thing in the world. But the idea of this taking place in the context of like uh, – is this like a weeby kind of anime school situation? I've seen some interesting Probably. anime out there and I don't know how I feel about manipulating people's One of the most popular games of the year, man. <laughs> no, it's – 
totally is what you're thinking. It's like okay, cool. So they go like dark, deep desires, and they personify it. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> I just noticed. I that. get it. <laughs> okay. Well, that that makes a lot of sense. But and that's great. Uh, but so is th- it something like I guess like the way that's like really interesting is that. It's just kind of fantasy role-playing game, okay. Japanese RPG, um, but it's grounded in you going to school and having to get good grades on your tests and, you know, hanging out with friends and building relationships. Okay. And that's, for me, I, I don't get it. It's like, that's what I like to do. You get a time limit usually where, you know, in 21 days, you either have to change this person's mind or you lose, something bad happens. But in that 21 days, you get to plan, like, when I want to go in this person's mind. You know what? That actually kind of – that sounds pretty cool. It makes me think of uh, some of the – it makes me think of the heart of Black and White 2. So Black and White 2 is like – you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, what if that's like Lionhead Studios? Yep. Are you familiar? Peter Malno, mm-hmm. the kind of crazy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, just the idea of – Putting control in a person's hands that they wouldn't normally have. So probably the most like complicated thing to try to manipulate or to get to do your bidding is like another person. But this is sort of this sort of quantifies that and gives you opportunities to put people in positions where they would do things that they normally yeah. wouldn't. That's sort of like the deal of it. Okay, cool. That harkens back to, I guess, when we were talking about Fire Emblem. And, like, you kind of – is it a similar thing where the game progresses as you get different people to interact and change the way they think about stuff? Like, uh, or It's a little bit more scripted probably. Like, you, okay. you know, you get the same characters each time, you know. Okay. But it is a thing of, like, you um, – Maybe as you build your relationships with them, you get bonuses yeah. uh, as you go into the dungeons, like in combat and whatnot, and like you know, new story opportunities where you're you're going along this little subplot with these characters and whatnot. Okay. But it's yeah, it's totally a thing of like I want to spend time with these people and like plan out times to hang out with them. So like it's partly it's like you know to to like for gameplay purposes of like I just want to uh, better this relationship um, yeah. to boost stats or whatever. But it's also just like cool where it's like I don't feel like going into combat right now. I kind of right. just want to go hang out. And I think an element of it is that there's a finite uh, time. You know, you you can't just max everyone out. You know, remember like a max. Oh, spe- you can't diligently. No, oh, that drives me crazy. I don't know if I can do that. See, I that doesn't is- feel tactical at all. <laughs> I think this like, is the thing. The, like the whole point of tactics is you can freeze time <laughs> and you can just like you know diligently put everything in its right place yeah. and then resume like a transistor combat or something. Yeah. So okay. I, I think this is totally like a polarizing thing where it's like, I love when uh, games consider like time and like, maybe it's like, you know, Majora's mask. Okay. So I was going to ask, does this exist in a bottle? Like this is a phenomenon that yeah. I greatly enjoy. And I think it, it just like, it, drives people crazy okay or at the very least it's polarizing because i think there's i think it's polarizing because i'm hating you more every second (laughs) tell me about majora's mask but majora's mask so in most think about this right i'm not crazy okay in most like games rpgs everything kind of is based around like 24 hours after 24 hours everything kind of resets right Uh, uh a game that i don't like but everyone else likes is skyrim right this is a game where (laughs) You're gonna have to unpack what you hate about it. <laughs> but go so on. Much. Uh, but no, <laughs> it's a thing of um, 
you can just like collect like 30 quests, right? Right. And uh, a lot of them are like, hey, meet me here at 8 p.m. You're like, that's cool. Like, we're going to meet at 8 p.m. Right. But if you don't meet him at 8 p.m., he's going to stand there for infinity until you actually go there at 8 p.m. And that just like bothers me. It's the same thing. And like, even though I like a Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Are we talking about Ludo Narrative Disco Biscuits? I guess, I guess, in a way, oh man, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is a semblance of like realism, though, right? So, also like the the feeling of like cause and effect. So, right, you you've you've talked to this person, you sent them on their way, and that's it. Like they are waiting on you. Whereas, like in a game like Majora's Mask or Persona Five, like people don't wait for you. Like time right. goes on, man. Right. So in Majora's Mask, like these, these there's tons of characters in the town who they have their set, like, way of, like, living out these final three days of their life. Mm-hmm. That sounds so dark, but it is. Um, <laughs> and, like, you come in and you can affect change. And you'll see, like, if you – there's a character – you know, I'm sure there's a, a few characters where on the first day you interact with them in a very specific way. They're – you know, how they are in day two is totally different. Like, right. they might be in a different area and, and they're on their own – new path because you just like poke them but then at the end of the third day you reset it all and it's really sad but i love that idea of like there is you know not a 24-hour schedule it's 72 hours and Mm. that's really cool to me and it it's not another thing is like animal crossing animal crossing oh my god i was just gonna say that yeah okay animal crossing is based on real actual time this this is where this is where we can agree. Okay. This is where I feel like I've got can, you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the walled garden is in Animal Crossing. So I guess thinking about this theme of time, Animal Crossing is the one title where I feel like I enjoy it because of the everything sort of being hinged around being. I mean, for one time being synced up, holidays, uh, seasons, uh, day and night things happening. Uh, it's sort of so for for the uninitiated. Um, Animal Crossing is essentially a community simulation title. Um, it's a it's a Nintendo IP, um, in which a uh, a player kind of moves around this village that's inhabited by animals, you know. Um, but they're kind of they're like not real animals, like they can talk or whatever. Um, and you kind of carry out these various activities. Like w- one thing that you're going to do is like socialize with people in the neighborhood and kind of get to know people. But there's also bug catching and planning things and fishing and and fossil hunting. And it's all sort of it feels incomplete to call it open world because the world isn't that big. But it's it's open objective in a sense that you get to choose how you want to meander and like progress through things and. um it's cool because it harps on those in-between moments that you would kind of enjoy of RPGs of old where you're kind of walking around a town and it always feels like there's like a world or anything. So anyway, um, all that to say, like in this town, there are things that are constantly happening and I love that it feels like, obviously I have a full understanding that it's not real, but I love there's a bit of this cozy sensation that comes with real things happening and there's this world that's existing even when your system is off and things are happening with or without you and you get a chance to participate. So yeah, I guess in a way having time in that way is cool, but I still feel like it's fundamentally different from like, (laughs) 
putting a limit on like I don't know leveling up and stuff or like completing a stage like Majora's Mask like you're talking about it and I'm just my chest is tight like I'm just thinking about perpetual anxiety that's what that's I- the thing so like a lot of my uh, a lot of my friends they've never finished Majora's Mask because they just like can't accept that like they they get f- so frustrated I think as a kid I literally limit. remember in like a big old t-shirt just being like I'm just gonna play Ocarina again like. <laughs> Yo, I like Majora's Mask before it was in Vogue to like it more than Ocarina. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's like the indie title now. Yeah. It's like, all right, okay, cool. But no, I told, and like with Animal Crossing, I remember as a kid, like waking up Sunday morning so I can go <laughs> buy some turnips on the stock market and sell that. Like, <laughs> and like Saturday night, you can get like, the song from the guitar playing dog at the train station, which sounds crazy, but that's an actual thing. But mm-hmm. like, that there is like this set, like, no, on Saturday this happens, on Sunday this happens, on, you know. Yeah, it's true. It, it almost actually, it kind of does make me wonder why more games aren't like that. I think it's a really, it's a really good example to kind of talk about like quest logs and sort of like the urgency around things happening. Like, there's so many games where they create this sort of socio-political tension that you're the hero in solving, right? And with different factions and stuff, but yeah, they'll say something like, meet me by the signpost, and they're like there, and you'll like pass by them on your way to like get your weapon fixed or whatever, and like it's kind of strange that like NP- when NPCs kind of wait for you in a in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. It's all, it's like it, it's one of those things where it puts I guess like the player at like the center of everything which feels i guess in in a way you can look at it as like a power fantasy kind of thing but at the same time i think it's more fun when it's like you're just a part of the world yeah i mean like the biggest example is one of the biggest examples the one that everyone kind of harps on is oblivion which is i like it's um the fourth elder scrolls game the fifth Mm -hmm. with skyrim yeah in the main quest very early on it's like I think it's one of the first things you have to do, um, or at least it's like one of the first quests you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you always have it in your quest log, basically, mm-hmm. um, is to go to this city called Kavach. Kavach. I don't know. Probably Kavach. I always but go like, with like ah because it's like a foreign thing. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Like, ah. But this place, once you get there, you realize it is like burning. Like that was not linguistically sound. I just sounded like an idiot. Sorry. It's please, all go good. Ahead. I I totally get you. <laughs> Even though they're from Maryland or something. <laughs> but no, like, this is a place that if you don't go there, okay, basically it's burning the entire time. But even when you go there and complete, like, the main quest, there's an extra quest there of, like, we'll have to clear out Kavach of demons. So can you help us? Yeah. And you can totally go, like, maybe later, man. And you just walk away. <laughs> and it's always going to be there. Those buildings are always going to be burning. You just go back there yeah, whenever yeah, you yeah. want. And it's just kind of like... <laughs> That's odd, but it, I, it, yeah. I mean, what's like? I, I know, like a lot. Another big one is Dead Rising. Mm, have yes, you ever played that? I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love Dead Rising, especially the second one a lot more. It's more forgiving. But I love that you have. You know, I, I love the whole. F- I love when the writers just started really enjoying the whole fourth wall thing. Like, that was <laughs> they just like went my great. Yeah. Part. yeah, but the idea of like I gotta get here um, at this. At this time, or I have to get back to my uh, daughter, I forget her name, mm. uh, and, and administer her vaccine and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I, I, I guarantee <laughs> it, like, makes everyone so mad. I know they probably have, like, uh, they, I think they added probably in the, in the newer ones that there isn't a time limit or something. But, like, 
it's it's so enticing to me. What, what's frustrating for you about it? Just um, like you... I can no, I actually have an example. So the first thing that comes, to, so I will say with Animal Crossing, there is I feel like there is something a bit insidious about Animal Crossing, and I think oh, yeah. that there's I think I think that Animal Crossing also has a cousin that's more overtly. Uh, dangerous in the way that it's built around the 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 idea of time or the idea of having to set a schedule. So what Animal Crossing does that makes it incredibly addictive is um this idea of taking care of like your crops or like having to be in good standing as mayor or having to um I guess put off a certain kind of personality or keep things like a general upkeep. What it does being on a schedule is when you're not playing the game and you're living your actual life is it creates this context in which you're constantly worried about what's going on in that world. And you're constantly kind of manicuring your situation. And so within the context of your like actual life, um, you're doing these check-ins, which I think can be incredibly fun. And we've kind of talked about the recreational value of it. Um, but it's not out of the ordinary for corporations to sort of like take advantage of that for monetary gain, <laughs> um, which I know sounds like very like granola popper to say, but Farmville is the first thing that comes to mind where um, the literally the bread and butter for them were in-app purchases. The game can't... It, and it depends the intent of the developer, of course, right? Like, not every game that has time built into it is necessarily insidious or, like, malicious in any kind of way. But I remember there being this this season um, in game development where there was just title after title that was like that. And people were, like, constantly, like, you're, like, constantly on your phone because... Um, because you're worried, you know what I mean, about this sort of, like, fictional thing. And maybe that brings up another conversation. So Jonathan Blow actually did a really good job at unpacking that. He sort of had this keynote at some university, like, years ago where he talks about video games and the human condition. And he kind of talks about how, like, there are a lot of interesting simulated benefits of how video games kind of dance with the human condition. And then there are other ways where, you know, for the sake of revenue, like, people are kind of taken out of their element for for gain i don't know that so i that is my that's sort of my brain dump on that i'm curious to know what you think about that kind of stuff no i agree like <laughs> what you said is a season of them where yeah. i remember there's like all the, like the popular iphone apps it was right. like check in you have to wait uh but once you check in like you'll get this much and yeah 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 i mean there's still that's how you know a lot of monetization still works um yeah or it's just like a matter of waiting yeah yeah i definitely see that I have better upkeep in a video game than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I find it interesting that you call it time management that you enjoy because I just see it as pressure. Like I see like, for example, like Majora's Mask or some of the other games, like I see the fact that I can't take my sweet time to get things done as sort of like robbing me of the advantage that video games conventionally give me in having control over my situation. Um, and it's sort of coming down to this additional layer of skill that might not necessarily play into, like, the overall story. You know what I mean? Like, especially, like, I'm thinking about Zelda, which I would think about more like an RPG than, like, I don't know, like Sonic or, like, Mario, where you have to, like, get, like, a, a level done, like, really quickly or as fast as you can, you know? Um, 
why do you think you don't feel, do you feel no pressure at all when you're kind of playing through these titles? Oh, I feel a ton of pressure, and I don't know. Maybe I enjoy that. Maybe I enjoy, like, the feeling of, like, oh, like it's like it's like a, a fantasy situation. Like, it's, it's you know, it's a video game. Yeah. But you can deal with, like, the pressure. And, yeah. like, I'm, there's, I think there's games where they use time as probably, like, a ro- roguelike element, and it's like, yeah, you might fail, but it's like, oh, you just start over again. Yeah. Like, in, in the case of, like, Majora's Mask, it's like, oh, I'll just play the song and go backwards. Persona 5, though, at the end, it did feel, wow, I missed out on a lot because maybe I wasted too much time doing this or I wasn't as efficient doing that. I I hate missing out on things, and I hate, Mm. um, you know, if if you're going through, if you're playing, like, Mass Effect and you're going down a hallway and there's, like, two ways to go, it's like, okay, which way is the main way that's going to end it all and which way is the other way where I can get some extra stuff. I want to find the extra stuff. Like, yeah. and if I miss all, out on that, I feel terrible and I want to go back. Whereas like, I guess like in the case of persona five, even though near the end game, I was like, wow, I'm kind of missing a lot. Like, yeah, it's still like, it's so far away. If off in the distance that I'm not, well, here's like, where we diverge here. You think you're so cool. Liking pressure. Like maybe, <laughs> You should just be okay with missing out on stuff because that's how real life is. No, man. Every 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 open door is a closed door that you're walking away from. I mean, every door that – I mean, I don't know how it goes. <laughs> I don't know proverbs. <laughs> but all that to say, like, you know, every time you take an opportunity, you're missing out on another one, man. That's just how it is. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Like, I, I like it. See, there, there's like a middle space you where have it's to like... t- You have to take all of it, Matthew. <sighs> You got to take all of it. For me, I would see I'm consistent. As a consistent person, I have I can freeze time and I can accomplish everything, and then I can get 100 percent at the end of the, the end of the thing. I have all the experiences. <laughs> What's well, it cheapens the experience? I'm actual. great. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I'm messing with you. <laughs> so I think uh, I think what I need to do is take. Uh, what what I feel like you know me taking every opportunity and like and maximizing the amount of time I have in a video game and knowing how to deal with time management and just bring it into the real world. Yeah, man. Like, so is that like that, a, that's our final thought for Persona the Five is a self help book. It's like listen, uh-huh. get up in the morning and do some stuff. You know what? I was actually really frustrated because during the summer you're on break and you would think like, oh, that means I have extra time to do things. Guy gets up late afternoon, so lazy. So you only have you still only have to, time for like one activity. It's ridiculous. Well, see now that makes me wonder has has playing Persona Five motivated you? Actually, it's to a good question. Parody in your real life. Or... It's a weird thing. Like where, when I was playing Persona Five, it's it's one of those things where uh, it's like a hundred hour game. Yeah. But it's definitely um, it hooks you and like it, it's like uh, when you get like deep into like a really good novel, it's like. You go home and you're like, oh, time to play this game. Or, like, you, you dedicate – you really want to dedicate, like, a portion of your day to it. Right. And it was a thing of, like, okay, like, wake up in the morning. Like, do it – like, get to work early so I can get everything done. Get home so I can play this game. And, like, even during the game, I would, I would be like, you know, the characters are going off for a jog, you know, so they can yeah. combat demons better. Maybe I should go <laughs> for a jog so I can just, like, wake up combat and Combat calories better. Look at you. Look, listen. Listen, we have one life. We got to live it. Yeah. But then I finished it, and now I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go. I need, I need to try Persona 4. 
That's cool. Well, I think in all of this, what we've learned is that you're actually the better man. Because for me, as much as I fantasize about the idea and enjoy the idea of freezing time to get everything done, I just end my day feeling like I never had enough, enough time in it. So Yeah. So, yeah. Huh. It's kind of a paradox, though, because I was I was spending time playing a video game, which I guess I could, you know, get better at something else, maybe. I don't know. I think that's worthwhile. It's like bettering me, soulfully. I look up to you, man. <laughs> so we're going to talk to Teddy Lee, the co-founder and designer at Cellar Door Games. He developed Rogue Legacy and the upcoming Full Metal Furies. He made a free online title called I Have One Day that meddles with time and puzzle solving. Let's get into it. So we have Teddy Lee from Cellar Door Games with us. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us, Teddy. Uh, thanks. Uh, good to be here. Yeah. So you have a game called I Have One Day. It's a free point-and-click adventure game where, you know, a, a big element is the finite amount of time you have to accomplish uh, your goals. Um, can you, like, talk about designing a game like that? Yeah. So, well, the uh, the original idea actually came, like, late at night, like 2 a.m. in the morning. And uh, the, the core concept was, uh, could I make a puzzle in a puzzle? Like, a, a puzzle game which all of the puzzles culminated into one, like, grander scheme puzzle. And so then that started with the whole, uh, like, I just wrote down on a piece of paper your uh, traveling salesman problem, right? And then from there, I was just like, okay, well, then if you compact each section and the traveling salesman problem wasn't actually finding the shortest route, it was finding, like, uh, the shortest solution, which would, wouldn't be the actual shortest route, if that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but that's actually how it came by. It was just kind of uh, coming up with the concept of uh, uh, puzzle in a puzzle game. Okay. Can you describe that uh, puzzle? Okay. So in I Have One Day, uh, the goal of the game is to beat it in 24 hours. If you don't finish the... Uh, it's, it's your standard adventure game where you, you click on your inventory and put objects on objects. But every action that you do takes time. So... Uh, the game gives you a quest list, which we did on purpose to like kind of drive people forwards. And the only way for you to actually like beat the game if you weren't like using an FAQ or anything was to kind of play the game once and then find out what uh, tasks you would be needing in the future. And then you'd be circumventing your path, going in you know obtuse locations and getting alternate solutions to puzzles which seem simple at the beginning, but then you'd need to use different uh, methods since uh, you're kind of breaking the timeline of what you're supposed to do. It's a little bit like Groundhog Day, kind of. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Groundhog Day. So, like, like, like a good example is uh, you need to get water, right? And so, the person gives you a, a bucket of water, or gives you a cup, and then you have to go to the like a a well and then pick up the water and then go back to the guy. But then that wastes like four hours. But then if you know that, you can just like put a mop which you have in your inventory into the well when you're there the first time, and then just give it to the guy when you reach him. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio. For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! The the one thing, so I played through a little bit of it, and then the one thing that really stuck out to me that I liked about it was, you know, earlier, so early in the episode, uh, Matt and I, we were talking a little bit about 
um, different games that we felt used time in a way that either heightened anxiety, like you had to finish something in a certain amount of time, so it increased the challenge, or um, it would use time, it would have you wait for things to sort of happen, so it would sort of pull investment out of you in, in, in you putting in hours and then spending time away and thinking about it. And what I liked uh, particularly about um, about what you put together was that over time it started to feel like, okay, so time is almost like currency that you spend in order to make decisions like even on the map like the place that you can travel to it sort of has it you know marked off with like hours and stuff and i'm curious to know um was there any particular inspiration for that what sort of drove the idea of using time as like this currency to get the game done no nothing real i mean it's hard to say it was actually a derivative of an original idea which was just um because like adventure games of the genre is pretty stale, right? Like no, nothing really changes, mm-hmm. and we, uh, we just had an idea of a an adventure game uh, where you had to do multiple solutions to the same problem, uh, but the the solution would get more and more complex because that's like one of the core problems of adventure games. Uh, the further you get into the abstract, is when people start going, "This is stupid." Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So our our solution to that was to create a puzzle game where uh, you would re- do, redo the same puzzle, like let's say it was like a heist game, and you had like seven people, and they all had to go through a door, right? And as each person went to the door, the, how, what the door was kept changing. But you would know as a player like that, that the door was different and that their solutions had to keep getting more and more crazy. Right. And so we just, that like, so that idea was always in my head, and then that I have one day was just, just something that came up during it, like an insomnia about, right? Because... I have a problem with sleeping sometimes, and then gotcha. my mind keeps running. It just took that <laughs> and then turned it using the time mechanic shift. That's great. That's great. So, do you find like with um, games that use time? I, I feel like there's a, a lot of conversation around it where it's definitely polarizing. Where you're taking something and um, it's it's kind of like morality choices in games. I think we mentioned where in a sense of, like, I'm making this decision and I'm losing this amount of time, uh, am I losing out on something else? And there might be that, like, pang of regret. Uh, do you see that in, in these type of games? Do you see why, like, is that why maybe it's a bit of an untapped design decision to use time that's not infinite? Yeah, I actually, um, I'm actually not a fan of games that you can't 100%. Those, the, those pangs always hurt a lot, but I, I do think time... Uh, <laughs> When when Animal Crossing came out, like oh. the the very oh, first please. time, like I was blown away because Go I think they it. were the first game to really use like real time time, right? right? I'm not yeah. sure. And uh, like I loved it, and I was, like, I was totally obsessed with Animal Crossing. But I wanted the uh, cycles to be shorter, right? But still kind of keep that gap. But then the moment iOS games came out, and time sort of became a, a different type of currency. It was kind of a pay to play. Correct. Uh, it more or less, I think, killed forever. The ability for a designer to make a game with an actual real-time time limit, without people assuming you're doing it for monetary reasons. Yeah, it killed the honesty. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so interesting. I'm, we kind of talked about that a little bit. It's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad because I think that's like a whole branch. You could probably do a million things with it right now, and uh, for, for sure, it's there, probably gone forever. There was like a particular excitement about especially if there's like a holiday or something like having something. And I guess, you know, in truth, like MMOs still do carry that. Like if you play a world of Warcraft, like if a real holiday is going on, like there'll be stuff going on in different areas, but yeah, you're right. Like, like barring MMOs and stuff like that, like there really aren't too many like self-contained S games that will, 
that will take advantage of that. Because it does feel like, oh no, are you like tricking me? Are you playing with my... I yeah. with my feelings. Yeah. Like, like even just saying, Oh, you died, you can't play for five minutes which I think is awesome and you could do so much with it, is like totally taboo now. Mm. I guess, at, at least if you paid for the product. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah. I guess what's what's good with um your game and like one of my favorite games is Majora's Mask, it kinda has I guess like a that kind of roguelike element. I mean you've made Rogue Legacy, so you've dabbled in that um not dabbled yeah, yeah. you've uh, developed in that space and um like with majora's mask for me even though i think a lot of people find it frustrating is if you go down one path and you know you going down that one path locks out other paths but in a, you you can reset everything so you have that three-day resetting yeah. cycle and it, it expands past what we're used to in open world games which is a 24 hour cycle which feels limiting now. Um, maybe that's a means of like why I enjoy um, I Have One Day or Majora's Mask because it, it doesn't feel as like they're locking me out of something. And I guess another, another way of doing that, I guess, is like Persona 5 is a game that I really enjoy. And I think a lot of that is kind of sort of like how The Witcher does morality choices where you make a choice and then it's not going to give you an immediate you know, consequence. Right. You have to wait for it. And in that way, it doesn't hurt as bad to make that immediate choice. And I guess that's the same way with Persona, where you do have a finite amount of time to grind something. You can't really necessarily grind anything out. You have that uh, just a bit of time to do something. But it doesn't really hit you that you're, like, losing days uh, uh, and, and weeks off off your game because, I don't know, it's just that, there's, not, there's not that immediate consequence. Right, right, yeah. Like the, the, the delayed repercussions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess for I have one day, it's like you have that shortened, like you can start it over, you know? It's not going yeah. to... Yeah, that was one of the things we actually did. Was we wanted to make sure you could beat it in like five minutes. Just like if you actually did it perfectly, just so that when you are rewinding, you're not... The, the consequences aren't as significant. Yeah, when, um, I, when I looked into it, actually, I found a YouTube video where someone does beat it in five minutes. Oh, okay, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. amazing, yeah. <laughs> well, there's multiple endings, too, and that's another really cool thing where it's, you know, if you go down one path, you you can still find something. It's not like, oh, I've yeah. lost something. That actually came from my brother. He he was like, oh, we got to do two endings because uh, the, beating the game and not, like, getting anything, like, irregardless of how well you did, felt horrible. And he's like, we, we always got a reward people for doing an action right even if it's technically the wrong action yeah so yeah that, that actually added a lot of time to develop it. oh yeah but yeah it was, it was a really smart choice by him okay it's funny a, a, a game that popped up when you mentioned um well like now where it's like i guess a lot of times it's like they say it's like a timed exclusive or something where it's a lot of games that um they ask you to be in this place at this date and you can get this item or you can play this level, but afterwards you're not going to ever get it. And that's, it's a weird, like you said, a weird, uh, like amalgam of like real time and in game. And, but that is like, you're actually losing something monetary in a sense because you bought a game and this content's not there anymore. So like Hitman uh, Absolution or is it just Hitman? I can't remember the name. I think like, yeah, that's what popped in my head was a, the newer Hitman. I think it's just Hitman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of those because, uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I, I never liked uh, games which uh, 
content would disappear forever. Mm-hmm. Personally, um, and now I, I I wanted to play Hitman, but now I think I've already missed like seventeen of the objectives. So I never actually got around to buying it. I, I have, like, this dream of, like... Because I, I, there is that thing where, like, you go, like, oh, I wish they made that. And it's like, well, just do it yourself kind of thing. But, like, the idea yeah. of, like, a big open-world game... Because it's been, what, like, 16 years since Grand Theft Auto 3? And mm-hmm. most open-world games are just, that, like, they're Grand Theft Auto 3, where you have that 24-hour cycle, and you can just pick a mission. Right. And it really... Like, I would love a fantasy game that, like they have calendars and like maybe on this day they made up some like holiday you have to like go to or something like that just right, seems right. so it, i think it brings like a level of realism that isn't really there when you have you know everything resets in 24 hours you know yeah oh we, right right yeah we had a I had a little bit of that on like do you ever play like lineage 2 no Okay. They had well I mean I they really had it they had it in a bunch of they had it in World of Warcraft as well where like I don't know, depending on the season, they would have seasonal items that they didn't disappear. You could hold on to them, but it'd be weird to use them at other points of the time. Like, like for example, like it, was, it was like winter, you'd get like preserved holly and it would turn your mountain to like a reindeer or something. But it really didn't really make sense to use it other times of the year. <laughs> okay. That's what comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. That's about it. <laughs> it's like using a League of Legends skin that's from Christmas? Yeah, more or less. Okay. That's kind of it. <laughs> Well, uh, did you have anything else to add, Teddy? Not really. Uh, play at one day. <laughs> no, um, it's free. Yeah. And it does something which I wish every other adventure game would do, which is just we highlight uh, clickables. Yes. Which I... Oh, sorry. oh my goodness. That's so when real. I, yeah, when I say highlight, I don't mean like, oh, your cursor turns bright. Because a, a lot of games do that, but then you're still doing the whole mouse over every single pixel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we highlight the whole object. So then, like, yeah, it's a touch ugly, but when you do that, just as a person, like, you might not be paying attention, but you go, okay, I know that whole area I don't have to bother with. And then all of a sudden, you can do much broader strokes. And I'm so upset because I play a lot of adventure games, and nobody does that still. They still, like, uh, stupid mouse scrolling is still a problem. And I can't believe that, you know, the problem since the 1980s is still prevalent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a relief of a point-and-click experience. Like, I I can't recount the amount of times playing, like, King's Quest growing up where it was, like, I'm stuck for, like, a whole... Because, you know, back then, like, before, like, you had IGN or anything like that, like, if you were stuck, you were just stuck for a week and then you came back and it would be like oh i didn't click on this bouquet of flowers in the corner because whatever reason because it wasn't highlighted like it would be so yeah yeah it drives me crazy i actually installed king's quest uh seven or six again just because i got it in a collection and the first thing you have to do is click on a tiny pixel in the ocean to pick up a ring (laughs) and then i just i quit the game i was like i don't remember this and i don't want to play it yeah (laughs) yeah yeah oh my goodness I tried. I know, like uh, Grim Fandango tried to do where if you walk by an object, his head turns, and it was supposed to be more cinematic. And they updated that for the remaster. But I tried to play like with the tank controls and everything. And it's like, what are you looking at, man? I don't. I don't see like. <laughs> <laughs> but great. Uh, well, thanks for talking to us, Teddy. Yeah, this has been oh, great. Thank thanks you. for your thanks for your insight on that. That's fun. Thanks, guys. Up next, Eric Kane and Paul Tassi talk whether game journalists should also be proficient gamers, like me. You know, until you put a camera on me and then I, then I freeze up. Just, uh, just go to the next segment, please. Thank you. A brawl is surely brewing. It's on. <laughs> I 
I'm Eric Kane. I'm Paul Tassi. Uh, we're back this this week. We're going to talk about uh, something near and dear to our hearts, uh, which is game journalism. And this question that's been going on across the gaming community, across game journalism, YouTube, and, and kind of uh, everywhere in the industry, which is, should game journalists be good at video games? What's your take? Well, it sounds like a pretty straightforward question. It's like asking if a race car driver should, you know, be good at driving. But it's it's kind of more complicated because the reason this comes up is because there have been a couple of recent instances where certain game journalists from Polygon or VentureBeat have, have been posting videos of them uh, playing a video game not so well. Uh, one example was Doom, and then another one more recently was Cuphead, where there's just not it doesn't seem like there's a, a terribly lot of skill happening there <laughs> to the point yeah. where they kind of become viral memes and mocked. Um, but then the issue gets extrapolated to, oh, all game journalists are terrible at video games and it's inexcusable that this is happening and it can kind of turn into a witch hunt like situation, which is not great. Yeah. And, and kind of when you, when you point out, it's kind of a tricky situation because when you then go and point out like, well, hey, like not all game journalists are bad at games, you're immediately hit with this response that, well, of course, that's not what we're saying. But then you look you look around and that's what, exactly what a lot of people are saying. You know, there's a lot of people who are specifically saying game journalists are terrible at video games and YouTubers, on the other hand, are wonderful at video games. It's it's kind of an awkward position to be in because obviously there are some game journalists. I mean, these videos do show that some game journalists are bad at video games. At, at specific <laughs> video games right. at, in a specific context, which right. is kind of the core of the issue. Like the fact that there have really only been two significant cases of this uh, in – how many thousands and thousands of hours of, of recorded footage do <laughs> do game journalists put on the internet? Uh, I, I think it's kind of trying to make make a mountain out of a molehill, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of a frustrating conversation to have because you know if if the reverse happened and some YouTuber just posted some horribly inept footage, we wouldn't extrapolate that to be like, oh well, YouTubers are bad or everyone on this channel or this guy is always bad at games period. But when things become viral, it can kind of spiral out of control. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the central question, I mean, what, what do you think about a base level of of competency? Like, cause that does seem like kind of a fundamental question just overall. That's, that's maybe easier to tackle. Yeah. I mean, well, I think that, that you definitely, if you're going to be reviewing video games, by and large, most of the time, you should be at least competent at the ones that you're going to review. You know, I would never think to review a game like Dota 2 because I literally cannot play that game. I'm just terrible at it. I, I don't understand it. No matter how much I try, I'm bad at it. And I could write something about that. I could talk, I, and I have talked about how I feel like the community makes that worse because it's hard to get into games like that because, you know, if you're not good, you're immediately sort of, Uh, ripped into. Um, But I don't think I would want to review a game that I was really bad at. Uh, At the same time, like, okay, let's say you're bad at a game at first, like Cuphead, maybe, or, you know, and I wasn't great at Dark Souls at first, but I got, you know, it's that get good, right? 
Well, that takes time sometimes. And if you see somebody's first video of a game they're trying to play, they might be bad at it. But by the time they've sunk 10 hours into it, they might be okay. So it's it's kind of a hard question because, you know, yeah, you should have some competency, but also, well, maybe that, you know, maybe you have to learn the game a little while before you can, every game's different. And, and game journalists play dozens of games a year a lot of the time, you know, whereas like if you're a popular YouTuber, you might just play one. Now, there are YouTubers who just play Minecraft or just play Call of Duty or just play Destiny, and they get really, really good at those games. But I don't know about you, but I play, I mean, three or four dozen games a year. Yeah, that's an interesting question because people always ask me like, oh, so you're just great at video games. And like, well, I might be a lot better than just Joe average person. I am people, you know, think I'm about to go pro in whatever game I'm playing. But that's that's just not true because one thing is as a game journalist, you really don't have time <laughs> to get no. that good at one specific game because you need like thousands and thousands of hours to get really good at one specific game. And you just don't have that. But in terms of this situation, I think I think context matters. And that's something that I think both of these situations had in common where there, there kind of could have been a mitigating way to avoid this if there was just some kind of context to these videos where they were just kind of uploaded kind of as a gag or casually or whatever without explaining like, oh, this is someone playing Doom who never plays first person shooters or is switching from a mouse and keyboard to a controller for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, or something like that, or the Cuphead. It's it's a first demo, and you know this person does not normally play platformers. Something like that, which like, is I kind think... of funny though. You got to admit, <laughs> like who doesn't? I mean, the, the the guy in question has been writing about games for twenty years or so. I mean, come on, you grow up on platformers. Who doesn't play platformers? Okay, to be fair though, if someone if someone took a video of me when I was trying to like learn Ori in the blind forest (laughs) on Xbox, like that game was brutal. And like, that would be embarrassing if someone put my kind of early footage of that game online, or like you mentioned, like, you know, just games you're not familiar with that, that are difficult, like, you know, dark souls or something. But the difference is, is a, when, you know, I cover those games or if I write about it and I say, I'm bad at them, I'm, that is usually, I'm, I'm framing that as a reflection on me and what's going on in that context, not, this game is so terrible. Like, unless I can am able to kind of prove that through hours and hours of play and no, really these controls are just that bad. Sure. Uh, but secondly, if you are kind of, if you know you're bad at a game and you, you are that bad, you're not, you're almost never probably going to be reviewing it. And in both of these situations, neither person who posted, you know, the goofy video ended up reviewing the game is so far as I can tell, like that was not the reviewer for doom and, I, I doubt. Yeah, I think that Cuphead. I think that in the Cuphead, the Cuphead context is kind of unique in that he was writing about how the tutorial was really hard, um, and and show and that was kind of originally I think what they were going with, and then they kind of shifted course to make it kind of more self-deprecating. I don't know. I mean, I do think context is a really big and important part. I think there's also like there is that like you're talking like people expect you to be like a pro. Because you write about games, you play games, but but you're right. It takes so much time, and like I've posted videos, you know, I I, I posted a video where I when I first played Doomfist in in Overwatch, and I was terrible with Doomfist. He just doesn't it, his play style really doesn't click with me at all. To be fair, Doomfist is the worst, <laughs> right? And there's a lot of characters in Overwatch, and you you pick the ones that you enjoy playing, and you get better at those. So I posted a video where I played him, and then I. Uh, I played a little bit of Farah, and I don't ever play Farah either. 
and people are like, all the comments are just about how much I suck and everything. And it's like, okay, but you know, this, this is my first time playing Doomfist. And I know from a, a lot of other people's feedback on Doomfist that they also found him very awkward to play. And like, it's just this, this, there's a very negative, toxic expectation among gamers that anytime they watch a video of anyone playing, it should be perfection. It should be amazing. But that's, you know, that's, there's a time and place for like awesome, you know, outtakes or whatever, where something really cool happens or you're really good. But most gamers, I mean, this is the definition of average. Most gamers are average. Most are not going to be the best player at every game. And it's a, it's sort of a weird expectation, not even just for game journalists, but just for people in general to expect them to be, to be excellent all the time. Well, I think that's also an important facet of coverage is because sometimes you do want the amateur perspective. Like I remember, um, you know, from software was hesitant to send me a copy of Bloodborne because I told them outright I had not played the Soul series yet. And they're like, uh, are you sure? Like, are you going to like, say this is the worst because it's so hard? But no, I didn't. And I, I covered it. I didn't review it officially, but I, I did a series about like, I'm trying to kind of get into this genre for the first time and like what is this like as a new player and while that wasn't an official review i do think that is that can be an important angle because no not everyone is going to be someone who you know has played three dark souls games and they want people who are new players to buy their game because it's more copies sold so Mm -hmm. i i think kind of an amateur perspective is good in in a lot of instances and maybe not in official reviews but i don't know i i'm i'm i get a little frustrated when I don't think you can say anything about a person's overall skill based on, you know, X minutes of footage out of probably hundred, like tens of thousands of hours of games they've played over (laughs) 10 to 20 years. So I I don't think whenever this comes up, I just don't think it's, it's quick to judge. And the Cuphead guy, I mean, he's been covering games for what, 25 years and it's broken, you know, a a lot of stories and people, should he have uploaded that like in this current climate? Maybe not because things go viral like that. And here we are. But I, I also think that it is not, it is no way ultimately on him for the reaction that this got. I agree. I agree. I, when I was at, um, E was it E3? Yeah. E3 this year, I went and I played the battlefront two single player campaign. I played a little bit of that and it starts you out in a spaceship and God, I could not – so I'm sitting there with a with a EA representative and she's watching everything I do. And I get in the spaceship and I'm just screwing up so badly. For one thing, I'm not very good at flying things. It's just one of my weaknesses as a gamer. Like I'm not good – like when I get in Battlefield and I try to go up in a plane, yeah. like I'm going to screw that up. I'm going to crash the plane nine <laughs> times out of ten. I'm just bad at it. It's It's one of those blind spots, I guess. You know, and we all have these things we're not good at as gamers. So I was terrible. I crashed that spaceship like four times and I felt so incompetent. But then when I got into the shooting section afterwards, I did great. You know, I, I was able to do the rest of the playthrough just fine. So there's always going to be these parts, you know, and I probably wouldn't have uploaded that footage because I wouldn't want to get yelled at by a bunch of people saying how bad I sucked. That, But I think that's kind of a shame in a way because like as gamers, haven't we all gone through that at one point or another? Like having that like thing we can't really do, and then we finally get through it, and we're like, okay, thank God, we I beat that part that was hard for me, you know. Like, and isn't that part of gaming is like overcoming 
even when you're not great at it, but overcoming that thing you're not great at? Well, it is. And I don't even think it's that's necessarily fair because the current the current gaming climate is that of Twitch streaming. And in any Twitch stream, you know, it's a lot of people who are good at games, but it's also people screwing up because even the best players are going to make mistakes and have bad days and this and that. But like no one is really kind of editing footage of, you know, X Call of Duty stream, streamer, X Destiny streamer and be like, oh, this person's terrible. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it doesn't really happen in that scene. So this is why this kind of feels more just like an excuse to kind of go after, you know, more traditional games journalists because people just like having ammunition for that. And I, I don't think that's the most kind of fair argument to make. No. And I do, sim- I mean, I, I absolutely empathize with gamers who say, they want their game journalists to be competent games. It it, it is a, a reasonable position that that if you're right if you're reading something from somebody who's writing about games that they should have a knowledge and an understanding of games. It's a little different than some like some other mediums like movies. Like you don't you don't make a movie to, to you must be a director. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's I mean people do say that all the time. But, if you don't like it, why don't you make your own movie? You know, but that's just a, the, you know, the problem a, becomes when I can agree with the statement games journalists should have a base level of competence of playing games. I disagree when people are like, this video is evidence that this person right. has absolutely no competence at games because it's right. it's such a small slice that you are taking kind of sans context. And I, I, I have yet to see a games journalist who is consistently puts out like just terrible, terrible footage all the time to clearly demonstrate, yes, this person knows nothing because – you wouldn't do that. And there probably are almost no people in the field like that. And if they are really bad at one game, they might be really good at a different type of game. So I I just think it's really hard to tell, even if yes, the statement games journalists would be somewhat good at video games is fine. (laughs) Yeah. And then just the dogpiling and the huge overreaction. It just, it's, it's, it's pretty exhausting. And then people say, well, why are you defending, you know, these game journalists are just circling the wagon and it's like, well, because you know, it's not fair. Like this is not a fair, this is not a fair reaction. And so we're going to stand up for someone. I mean, I don't even know this guy, but we're going to, we're going to say like, this is obviously just a mob reaction and it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's way it's so far overblown <laughs> in terms of like the importance of this video and this, this revelation. So well, I'm sure uh, this will yeah. not be the last time this happens. <laughs> oh, no. There'll be another. Ho- hopefully, I will be with one of us. But I, I thought about <laughs> recording like a Destiny video where I'm just like failing to kill like a Vex and being in like doop to doop, <laughs> just seeing what happens. But Or like a really, really bad round in the Crucible, which, yeah. you know, that never <laughs> happens. Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, I think I think it, we've solved that problem. Yep. <laughs> yep. Now, now, now that that's over, this will never, ever come up again. Uh, end of story. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast one. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care.
Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. And sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.